0: Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed.
1: to another week's edition of Don't Box Me In. Today, we will be talking to one of the nation's leading experts about foster care. Um, before we get started, there are over 510,000 American children who are in foster care. And children enter foster care for several reasons, uh, some of which uh, might be physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, or simply caretaker inability. My guest, Dr. John DeGarmo, is an author of several foster care books, including the training book, The Foster Parenting Manual, a practical guide to creating a loving, safe, and stable home. Dr. DeGarmo has been a foster parent for dozens of children for over a decade now, and he has a passion for foster children and is driven to bring education and insight into general society about all things foster care. I'm so glad he's taking time to spend with me today, and it's with pleasure that I welcome him to the show. Dr. DeGarmo, welcome to Don't Box Me In.
2: Thank you so much, and please call me John. John?
1: Okay, kind of, Dr. John, I was trying to give you your credit and your props where credit was due there, but John, I I'll, I'll do John it. if that's what you want. <laughs> thank you again for taking time to hang out with me today. I always tell everybody I appreciate their time. I, I'm sure with your life you've got other things you could be possibly doing, but you're here with me, so thank you.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
1: Okay, so before we get started, um, we're going to spend a lot of time today talking about foster care and and all things foster care. But um, I I do want to let my audience know that John is some other stuff besides the wonderful foster parent. uh, You started out a long time ago touring with a singing group. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: I sure can. Uh, The group is called Up With People. Uh, Mm In the 80s and the 90s, they uh, were very, very strong, and they did actually four Super Bowl halftime shows. And as an international supergroup that performed across the globe, um, had uh, cast members from goodness gracious all continents, and that's where I met my wife, who is from Australia. I met her in in that group once during the year.
1: Okay, yeah, I actually went on YouTube and uh, searched for some of the footage, and I I was, I think me and you were born the same year, 1969, so I I was like, ooh, okay. I I was looking at some of the footage, I said, okay, yeah, that was that time period in life with the 80s and, you know, the, the the clothes and the, the hairdos and stuff like that, but uh, yeah, pretty. I like the sound and the tone. It, it took me back there a minute there, and I said, "Oh yeah, I remember that group." So right. wonderful stuff. So you met your wife there, because that was another thing I was curious about. How does the man, you know, meet uh, his lady from Australia? But she was uh, in the group as well.
2: She was in the group as well. Actually, during the year, she had a boyfriend from Germany, and I was very, very smitten with a girl from Sweden, but. At some point, we realized, hey, we both speak the same language. It'll be a lot easier to <laughs> we get together. So, <laughs> Good Not really true, but that's, you know. <laughs> that's the story yeah, so we, we tell
1: see, people, right? <laughs> right?
2: Right, right, right.
1: <laughs> okay. So, um, how long did you guys, uh, tour with this group?
2: Tour for one year. Uh, cast members tour for a year. So they, uh, between the ages of 18 and 28, and, um, you take a year off your life and you travel the world. We were actually or we were actually in Berlin when the wall was coming down, and it was a great cool. time, great year.
1: Cool stuff. So you you and your wife you got married soon after.
2: Uh, four years afterwards. That's right.
1: Okay. Okay. So had you um started up the foster care um right into the as newlyweds or is that something oh, no. that
2: okay? No, no, it wasn't even on my radar to be honest with you. <laughs> My uh, After we got married, we lived in Australia for a number of years, and our first child died from a disease called anicephaly, or as some pronounce it, anicephaly. It's a condition where the brain and the skull never formed. So when our first daughter was born, um, she had no, nothing above the eyebrows, so to speak, and uh, she died upon oxygen, and both my wife and I grieved in different fashions. She grieved in a normal way. I, I didn't really grieve. I, I consumed myself from my work and tried to shut myself off from the grief. And then it wasn't until years later when we had three healthy children living in the U.S. that um, we began our fostering experience.
1: Okay. And can you share with us how that all started, the very first experience?
2: Sure, sure. We, uh, I was teaching at that time. I was teaching English in a very small rural school in, in uh, South Georgia. And I was watching many of the children come through my home. I'm sorry, come to the classrooms I was teaching at. Um, with a lot of behavioral problems and academic problems, and I asked myself, why are they behaving this way? Why, why are they having this, these issues in school? And then I met some of their birth parents, and I realized, aha, this is why. Starting mm-hmm. in the home, you know, lack of support, neglect, abuse, whatever it may be. So I came home one day and asked my wife, "Hey, what do you think about being a foster parent?" And she had been, she had been praying about the same thing a little that I know, mm. and and that's how we uh, began that journey.
1: Okay, okay. Very first child was how
2: old, age? The very first child placed in our home actually were two sisters and one was four years of age and the other was i believe four months of age and they came to us one night late at night 10 30 at night and i realized uh i realized within the first 20 minutes of their being placed in my home that i was not really prepared for it I was
3: just <laughs>
2: but um it was a whole different ball game when the four-year-old is screaming at night i want my mommy i want to go home and my wife is rocking her to sleep as she cries herself to sleep it was a uh,
1: rough night okay okay so that's one of the things that i kind of wanted to pick your brain about because i'm pretty sure people have very good intentions oh you know i have a lot of love to give you know i'm going to be a foster parent but at some point you hit this like reality thing this is not i did not i was not prepared for this so um what were some of the, with the first experience, you know, you mentioned the, you know, here it is, you have a, a child, you know, I want my mommy and stuff like that, but what were some of the other difficult occurrences, you know, that you had to, you had no clue about when you became a foster parent that first go around?
2: Well, the second day we went shopping, went shopping for clothes <laughs> with the two girls, and the, we heard a siren in the back background in another town, it's actually a fire department, and uh, the little four-year-old started screaming, and she wanted to hide under a bed, and we found out that her mother would give her a knife and try to um, defend herself, stab the, stab the bad guys, which were the police coming into her home. I thought, oh, goodness, I wasn't mm. ready for this either.
3: Mm.
2: So it was a... Uh, and the little baby uh, had some uh, drug-related issues as well. Um, and She was winning herself off drugs. So it was a whole different thing that I had really... You know, I did all the training, and they prepare you for it. But, um, you know, uh, there's a lot different in, in book training... Than in real-life experiences. And, you know, before I became a foster parent, I think this is important, before I became a foster parent, I really didn't have much of a clue what foster care was about. I I thought that uh, it was the kid's fault, and I thought that the foster parents were kind of strange people. I got one (laughs) thing right. Foster parents are kind of strange people because we have to be a little strange to do what we do. Because this is a 24-hour seven-day-a-week, week three hundred sixty five day job a year, where well, we, we make many sacrifices to have the kids come in our home. But, you know, it's well worth it. hmm
3: mm-hmm.
1: Now, you mentioned uh, before that you had training, and so what kind of training does a foster parent have to undertake to, before you can get your first placement?
2: Sure, sure. Each state is different now, so there's different requirements, but generally speaking... uh, To become a foster parent, you have to have a police background check and a house inspection and a drug check. And then you go through about six months of training, pretty intense training. And Mm -hmm. you learn all about different kinds of trauma that children may go through or abuse. You you learn how to to deal with them and how to bring them into your home. Um, So it's a pretty extensive training. After your training is over, then you wait for that first placement. And it could be the next day. It could be a, a few weeks. It could be a few months.
1: Okay. Now, you you go through all this training, you and your situation, so, you know, you're kind of becoming aware of this whole foster parent responsibility thing. But when you completed right. your training, did you still have this philosophy, like you said before, that foster kids were strange or, you know, um, I, I forget the wording, and you said foster parents were weird or something? Did you still, when you concluded everything, did you still feel that way or did you start no, to have... I, an,
3: I, I...
2: I was beginning to understand that it wasn't the children's fault. You know, it was—it was—you um, know—they're a product of their environment, so to speak. And I really didn't know. Um, you know, I went through the training, and I knew what the responsibilities uh, for foster parenting was. But you know, it wasn't until that first or second placement that I realized, okay, this is a this is <laughs> going to be a life changing experience, and it has been. It's been it's been the best thing I've ever done.
1: Awesome, awesome. I mean, it's just it's such a needed uh, a thing in this world. Uh,
2: Oh, it's
3: so, and right, yeah.
1: so is. Now, when you became a foster parent, you and your wife, if I'm hearing the story correctly, already had three biological children of your own? Right, that's correct. Okay, okay. So, um, reflecting back, uh, what have you learned now? Are the difference in parenting your own biological children versus parenting foster children?
2: Oh, you know, foster. many people tell me, oh, being a foster parent is just like being a, a parent to your children. It's so so different. It's so mm-hmm. different. The children who you know when you have your own children hopefully you have been raising them in a way that you're teaching your own children values and morals and you're teaching them uh, consequences and responsibilities and you're and they're, they're being raised in an environment that is safe and secure and that they're loved and they feel they feel loved and they they have uh, you know, a sense of rules. These children that come into our homes have anything but that. Many times they mm-hmm. come into their homes and they have had they've lived a life of abuse. They've mm-hmm. never been told they've been loved. Um, they are so. Some of them are still very, very needy. Sometimes they come into your home and they've never had any type of rules in their home whatsoever. Um, they've been able to run wild, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, there's so many different things the children come to your home. So you just have to really learn how to work with that, so to speak.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Now, I'm, I'm thinking, me personally as a parent, you know, um, my time spent raising my daughter, as a mother, I had certain periods where we had discipline. You know, I had to discipline my child for some behavior she might be partaking in. But sure. I'm, I'm assuming that as a foster parent, your your capabilities of discipline are completely different than disciplining your own biological children. Or, or am I assuming yes. incorrectly?
2: No, no, no. You're you're assuming quite correctly. You know, my uh, my youngest son, my only son. 13 years old now, um, 14, mm-hmm. sorry, 14 now. We've been doing this for about, you know, 12, 13 years now, so it's all they've known. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he might do something, and, and um, you know, my wife and I might spank him. Mm-hmm. For a foster child, there's absolutely no physical discipline whatsoever. Uh, mm-hmm. So my son might ask me, Hey, Daddy, you know, how come you spank me and not him? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have, to find, you have to find different avenues of discipline um, for the children. Because sometimes they, uh, you know, many times the kids will come into your home, the older they are, and they're just going to resist everything that you do because we have to remember this. We have to remember that foster children generally don't want to be in our homes. Mm-hmm. You know, I might provide them um, all the opportunities in the world for them. I might provide for them healthy meals three times a day, uh, a safe home, a place where they're where they're loved and. They just want to go back to their mother and their father, you know, a place where they have been abused. But that's their norm.
3: Yes, that is
2: their mommy. That's their daddy. Mm-hmm. So they want to go back there. So many times they're going to resist everything that we do for them, and that resistance includes lashing out, or you know, maybe hostility or disobedience sometimes.
3: Mm,
1: wow, that is such uh, an overwhelming undertaking. Sometime, I mean, uh, like I said, we, we might have the best of intentions, and you might as as an adult say, you know, I have a lot of love. I have a, you know, a loving home, you know, it would be amazing. You know, I have this opportunity to bring a child into my home and give them, but you're fighting so many different possible dynamics that, um, you know, it could possibly be a situation where uh, you're, you're been not benefiting yourself and you're not benefiting the child. Sometimes I can, I can foresee that happening. And um, we're going to, Take a quick break real quick, but before we go, you did have a situation, I think I read, where you you had to tell them to come and pick up a foster child. Am I
2: understanding? Oh, did I read that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, do you have time for that story, or do you want to wait after the commercial break? We'll wait after commercial
1: break. Um, yeah, we'll go ahead and do that right now. We'll take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with that story.
0: Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome back. Today I am talking with Dr. John DeGarmo. He said, call him John. He is the author of the uh, training book, The Foster Parenting Manual, A Practical Guide to Creating a Loving, Safe, and Stable Home. And uh, before the commercial break, we were talking about how he became involved with the foster uh, care program. lifestyle, and he was going to share a story with us uh, about uh, one particular incident where he actually had to uh, ask them to come and pick up a foster child, and we had to go to commercial. So uh, now we have this time to share.
2: Sure, sure. Thanks for asking. So I, I document this story in my in my book, Fostering Love, One Foster Parent's Journey. It's about a girl named Helena. I call her uh-huh. Helena in my book. Uh, okay. She came to us. When, when she was nine years of age, her... Boswell's parents were killed in Romania. So she was adopted by a family from New York who told her, we'll teach you English, we'll take care of you, we'll love you, we'll be your family. And then for six months they abused her. And then they did something I did not know you could do. They unadopted her. They gave her back. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then another family from Pennsylvania adopted her and said, well, we'll teach you English, we'll be your family, and we'll love you unconditionally. And then for about a year they abused her. And then they unadopted her. They gave her back. Now a third family from Georgia, which is where I live, adopted her. Now, remember, this is her fourth family now, because her first family in Romania died. This third family that adopted her said, well, we'll finish teaching you English, we'll be your family, and we'll love you unconditionally. She was about 11 at this time. And then for six years, they abused her in various forms. And then they, one day, drove up to the child welfare system in Georgia, and they pulled her out of the car and said, you're no longer part of a family. And that's when she came to live with me. She was 17 years of age at that time. And my wife and I, when we bring a child into our home, There's no difference between biological, adoptive, or foster. We love Mm -hmm. them all the same. They are are children, and we love them unconditionally. And she could not accept that unconditional love. Um, She resisted many fashions. And uh, at one point, we tried to adopt her. We were in the process of adopting our first child. We've adopted three from care, but we were in the process of adopting our first child. And I said to my wife, listen, when this girl ages out of the system, when she graduates from from the foster care system, when when she's no longer eligible for the benefits, where will she go? There will be no family out there for her. Who will she call on a Sunday night when it's raining and she has a flat tire? Who will call her on her birthday?
3: Who will she go
2: for Thanksgiving and Christmas? So we wanted to adopt her. So we offered her that opportunity to adopt her. But I wasn't thinking. You know, I didn't know that. Of, of course, adoption for her was a very, very bad word. Because mm-hmm. the families that had adopted her had only abused her. So I it was see. a bad word for her. And um, she, she sabotaged the adoption process. And uh, things got steadily worse, and at the time, my oldest daughter was, I believe, ten, so she, and my other, my other daughter was eight. So they're watching everything that's going on with the 17-year-old girl doing a lot of the inappropriate. And we, um, we told her at one point, listen, you are our daughter, we love you, we want, we want you to be part of our family, um, but you have to, take, you have to follow our, our morals, our values, and our rules instead of our television, our refrigerator, and our swimming pool. And then shortly after that, she did some stuff that was just um, intolerable for our family, and we had to place her in a group home. And let me tell you this. I felt guilty for years. I had so much guilt um, because of this for years. My my wife would tell me, no, we did everything we could, and my head knew that, but my heart felt otherwise. I felt, hey, I could have done something different. Maybe I needed mm-hmm. to be more patient. Maybe I needed to um, be more understanding. Um, but we had to place her in the care, in the group home, and... Um, uh, but we continue to stay in contact with her we, we wrote her letters we visited her often we um, got her enrolled in college and now six years later she is uh, she's working for a child welfare agency
1: awesome
2: she's, uh, part of a part of our family and um, you know she calls us mom and dad and, and it's a wonderful ending but it took a long time to get there
1: awesome awesome um I'm just curious what steps did she take to I mean because something happened in these last six years where she's did a 180 degree turn and became a, a different kind of uh, person. So, did it just was a natural evolution or
2: interesting for her? She was always so very very motivated in school to do well in school and to succeed. Um, she had siblings who um, who are in uh, have had problems with legal issues or in sanitary, health health sanitariums. Um, uh, but she was very very motivated, and I think that motivation to, get to college. Um, uh, really, you know, put her in the right path, and she was able to to look back and think, you know, what these people weren't so bad. <laughs> and yeah. we continue to stay in her life. You know, we continue to reach oh. out to her, even though for some time she resisted that when she was placed in a group home. We continued to reach out, and we didn't give up on her. We just didn't give up on her, and we weren't we weren't going to go away.
1: Very important. Very important. Now, this this story here brings up something that um, has always been a personal concern of mine when it comes to foster care. Are there any checks and balances for um, these children because like with her instance, repetitively she was placed in very toxic environments. Um, is There's no kind of way that, you know, this is, uh, you know, we do have some sort of system in place that's supposed to be, you know, providing some sort of safe environment for these children or is it is just kind of the luck of the draw. They either get the DeGarmo family or they get, you know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde family.
2: No, I don't think it's that. The families that adopted her were not foster homes. They were just your average family who wanted to adopt. Okay. Uh, and just, she just had a very, three horrible, horrible experiences. Um, families that should never have been able to adopt. Uh, because she was a girl from another country, from from another, you know, from out of another country, so she was adopted from overseas. Uh, no, as a foster parent, there are many checks and balances. As I noted earlier, you, you do have to have that police background check. You do have to have that drug test. You do have to have that home inspection, um, and it goes on and on. Now, is that to say that there are some bad foster parents out there? Sadly, there are. You know, mm-hmm. there's that one bad apple that will spoil the whole barrel of a 100, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are those stories of bad false parents out there, and that's one of my missions is to, try to dispel some of those, um, those misbeliefs. Yeah, sadly, there are bad foster parents, um, oh. but she was not a product of that, sadly.
1: Okay, okay. So as a foster parent, um, the, the lifestyle, do you, are there random checks? or Does somebody come into your home on a regular basis? What kind of safeguards are in place for these
2: children? Sure, yeah. We have to go through training. We get our initial training, and then every year we have to get additional hours every single year. And we still have to have the drug test every year and, the, and the, you know, um, they come into your house and do a house inspection, um, the whole deal. You know, they look to see, they, they look through the entire house once a year. That's, that's very, very common for foster parents across the United States. And we do have to keep up our continuing education of ours. Um, oh, yeah, they continue to, you know, they continue to, um, to check. I have known some foster parents who have been um, asked to leave foster care system because they've not been able to meet those requirements sometimes.
3: Okay. You know, okay. and, I, and
2: I want it that way. I want it to be a very, very, um, how do I put it? I want to make sure that they're, in, I want to ensure that, that the homes the foster kids are going to are the best homes, homes that they will be safe, homes that they'll be secure, and homes that they'll be loved in, because that's what these kids need the most. They need, before, uh, they need the safety, sure, and they need stability, yes, but they need most of all to be loved.
1: Yes, I mean, coming from the environments that they're coming from, um, and, you know, it it, it is a whole psychological element to this young child because all they have known is this particular dysfunction. So some of them is, I know this is wrong, but this is my normal, and I'm not really sure how to embrace this person who is trying to show me what a healthy, normal home life should be. So I'm, I'm kind of in this little whirlwind of stuff right here. So it, it's in the best interest of the child to have somebody who's really, really prepared to take on, you know, that kind of, resp- I mean, responsibility, that child coming from these types of environment, um, I, you know, I, I guess we cannot stress enough that people really need to understand what they're taking on and what that child needs for the betterment of that child. I mean, it's just... Such an awesome uh, responsibility. Um, now, for the the person that who is considering becoming a foster parent, um, what what are the things to consider for when you first bring a child into your home? We've gotten our training, we've done all of that. Now we're just waiting to get our our first uh, call, our first placement.
2: That's a great question. Great question. You know, I I just have an, an an ebook that came out this month called Foster Parenting One Hundred and One: Marriage and Foster Parenting. And my first thing that would be to say is if you are married or if you have a partner, that you and your partner are on board, that you're on the same page. Because if, in fact, I was talking to somebody just yesterday and she was telling me that she had a heart for foster pairing, but initially her husband did not. And you can't do that. It, if, if both partners are not on board, it can destroy that relationship. Because when you're bringing these children into your home, there are certain stresses and um, related to foster children that... Are going to just show up to your household. That's just a, that's just how it's going to be. So you need both if you're married. You need both to be uh, on board with that. So that's the first thing you want to look at. You also want to look at to see if how your own children, if you have children, how your own children are going to be able to um, to handle these children coming into your home. Um, those are some of the the basic things you need to look at.
1: Okay. Now, what what do you feel? Um, and I'm pretty sure you work with many many foster parents. What type of a personality trait What type of person do you feel makes a good candidate to be a foster parent?
2: Somebody who has a heart for children, somebody who is patient, somebody who is loving, somebody who is flexible, somebody who is compassionate, somebody who has the desire to make a difference in our in the lives of children. You know, this is National Child Abuse Prevention Month this month right now. So I often ask people what are you doing today to prevent child abuse from happening. You know, it could be the child next door. It could be the child down the street. It could be somebody in your own family through a relative. So the desire to make a difference in the lives of children and to help out. Mm-hmm. Foster parents have to be flexible. Foster parents have to be patient. Foster parents have to be compassionate above all else.
1: Okay. Almost sounds like real parenting, but, you know, with a little bit yeah, more... Yeah, it I- <laughs> is,
2: but it's, a, it's a, lot, you need a lot more patience and flexibility with... We've lost children let me tell you
1: <laughs> okay now what is we, the longest <laughs> <had
2: a, laughs> go ahead we, dear. we recently we recently had 11 children in our house and um Ooh, you we. know when you got 11 kids in your house uh you've got to be very very flexible <laughs> very, oh very my
1: goodness i can just imagine that waiting for the bathroom thing in the morning like oh my oh, yeah. God. <laughs> sure. now what is the longest uh you've had a foster uh child in your home
2: uh that's a great question um uh, a year and a half, and her name in my book, Fostering Love, and the sequel to Love and Mayhem, her name was Sydney, and her story was a very, very sad story, actually. She was taken from us. She was with us for a year and a half. Came to us when she was seven years of age um, from a very, very sad situation. And her father was a sexual predator, her mother was a mm-hmm. drug addict, and her grandmother was an alcoholic, and the seven year old was basically taking care of herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was with us for a year and a half, and then Two days before Christmas, she was taken from us with less than 24-hour notice and placed with an aunt and uncle in Florida, um, whom she'd only met one time before. And uh, and then four years later, she called me up one day and she called us up on the phone one day and said, "I said hello." She said, "Daddy, I want to come home." And it was her. She had been she had been uh, raped repeatedly by her uh, stepbrother. And, oh, my um,
3: goodness. And
2: then abandoned in another state, and then she went from home to home to home. And the only thing she had with her was a picture of our family with our uh, phone number and address in the back. That's what she was taking with us from her, from home to home. So I spent the next five years trying to fu- trying to relocate her, trying to find her, because I lost contact with her the next day because we went to Australia to visit my in-laws. Mm-hmm. And um, so she was with us for a year and a half.
1: Wow. Well, wow. I mean... These kids are already going through so much, and it just seems like, as a child, I would be saying, when am I going to catch my break here? I mean, when am I going to, you know, when is this going to get better? It, you know, it's not the amount of kids that are out there versus the kids that do get the blessing of, you know, walking into you and, and your wife's lives. You know, it just, you know, the ratio doesn't seem to balance itself out, and it's just so heart wrenching that you hear these stories. Because I always feel children don't ask to be here, you know what I'm saying. So once we bring them, once we bring them into this world, you know, we as adults, it's our responsibility to provide the best, to do the best, to groom them into, you know, with the best experiences. And here it is, we're we're failing them in so many ways as adults. It's such, it's just, you know, it just brings you so much emotion out of you. Um, Dr. John, we're gonna take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk some more. But hang in there with me. We'll be right back.
0: Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Hello,
1: hello, hello. Well,. Back today, I am with one of the leading experts, uh, in foster care, Mr. Dr., Mr. (laughs) Dr., Dr. John DeGarmo, getting ahead of myself there, who has authored the, uh, training book, The Foster Parenting Manual, A Practical Guide to Creating a Loving, Safe, and Stable Home. And before the commercial break, uh, you were sharing a story with us about a young girl named Sydney, and I just want to make sure that I, I get the closing of this story because you said she had, uh, contacted you wanting to come back Home, but you guys were out of the country at the time. So, just for my own personal satisfaction, I, I, I do want to know what happened with Sydney.
2: Well, in the, my new book, Love and Mayhem, which came out last November, I, I meant I wrote in there that for five years, I spent a half an hour every Sunday evening and I come home from choir practice, spend a half an hour online doing various types of searches for her, through, whether it's through emails. Uh, Facebook, MySpace, Internet, you name it. I was searching for her in Georgia and Florida and Alabama. I just didn't know where she was. And then last, uh, this time last year, we got a phone call uh, telling us that she had been located. She was in, she is in a um, 24 hour lockdown um, mental health hospital for children, if you will. Mm -hmm. She had been so abused, so traumatized, um, that uh, she just didn't have. any sense of love in her life and she had been trying to commit suicide various times and she's very very troubled and we have went and visited her many times but it was worse than my than I ever suspected because I wanted her I, I was looking for her because I wanted her not only to know that she was still cared for but that she was important and that she was loved
0: because mm-hmm. I wanted her to
2: know that before she aged out of the system um, the, the, the statistics are so grim for children who age out of the system whether it's 18 in some states or 21 years of other states uh, Forty-five percent of children will graduate from high school, which means only 55 percent will drop out. Sixty-five percent will end up homeless. Seventy-five percent will end up in jail. About 80 percent of the girls will end up pregnant before the age of 19. And I did not want her to become one of those statistics. So I was trying to reach out to her and tell her that, you know, she was loved. And sadly, it was worse than I ever imagined. And um, we're still working with her. In fact, I spoke to her her yesterday on the phone, actually. Oh, okay. Um, Is she she uh, making progress? Uh, No, she's really not. You know, when when we contacted her, it was our first time we had, you know, since she'd really seen us in um, maybe nine years. And uh, so in her seven, eight-year-old mind, when she left us, we were the parents who put her in that home after living with Mm. us.
3: Um,
2: So, you know, she kind of went backwards for a while, but, you know, we're still in touch with her and just praying that it all works out, that God's plan is, a good one for her. Of course it is a good one for her. We're just hoping that it works out well.
1: Yes, and soon, and soon. Now, right. you have had at this point in you and your wife's journey, you have had how many, about how many kids in your home,
2: foster kids? Uh, I think 46. 46 kids have come through our home and three of them we've adopted.
1: Okay. Now, you know, I, I as a mother here, I, I kind of I have nurture and the heart stranger. I'm thinking it's a very rough emotional moment when you get that call and it's time for a child to move on um oh yeah what what is what is that that emotionally like to say okay and, and from what you were telling me about a couple of these stories you don't even get any advance notice to emotionally prepare yourself for this child's departure what what is that experience like
2: sometimes you don't many times you do, but sometimes you don't general society will tell you that foster parents don't grieve for the children because they're not our kids. They're only with us for a short time, and they go back to their homes. I will tell you that it's, it, it is the opposite. We do grieve. It's like losing our own child. Because many foster parents, like myself, when the kids come into our home, they become our children, and we mm-hmm. love them unconditionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when they do leave, we grieve. And, uh, you know, many times there's, there's feelings of deep grief and deep loss. I have known some foster parents, including my wife, who can spiral into depression when a child leaves their home, particularly if a child has been in your home for quite some time. Many times we don't know where the children are going. Many times we do know where they're going, and that may be even worse because we, uh, we know they're going back to an environment that is not necessarily in their best interest or necessarily safe. So that's hard to grapple with as well. So, yes, it's very, very hard. And I hear so many people tell me all the time, I couldn't do it because I couldn't give up the child. It's the same with us. But, mm-hmm. but it, yet when the phone call, and, and my wife has been saying now for the last seven years, she's been saying every time a child leaves her house, she says, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> not because it's the hardest thing we do, which it is, but because of the grief that she feels. Yet when the phone call comes and there's a, another child in need out there, you know, we pray about it and oftentimes say yes.
1: Oh, wow. Now, these children, foster children, you know, they're they're there with you as their foster parent and A lot of these kids, I think all of these kids come with caseworkers and stuff like that. So when this process is transitioned back to some sort of um, environment, maybe going back to their parents or some other family member, do you as the foster parent who has now been uh, working with, observing, and raising this child for the most part – do you have any say-so negotiation for or input into what is the type of environment, the best type of environment for this child to transition to? Do you have any kind of say-so in the child's future, or is it just strictly up to the caseworkers and whatever arrangements are being made um, outside of your
2: your your your, your um, reach? I'd like to tell you, yes, we do. Sadly, we don't have much uh, say at all. It- generally uh, a decision that's made by the courts sometimes by a judge that is not very involved sometimes by the by the social worker but it's just generally a decision that's made without um, much of our input and if you read my book fostering love you'll see that i'm the guy who's fighting that i'm the guy who's saying hey you know this is not best interest of the child the child's not safe in that home the child needs to be mm-hmm. here in our home but you know what it, um, it's out of our hands unfortunately
1: wow Wow. I mean, it would you would think that here it is. This is the person. This is the family. You know, we're the ones who have finally decided to give some love and nurturing and stability to this child. You know, you, somebody would want to consult with you to say, okay, uh, what do you think is best for this child? Because clearly you're the people who have the best interests of this child, you know, in mind. So. Right. You know, it, you it just say- seems like a perfect fit, but oh well, we've got some work to do in, in the whole design of the system. So, you know, but that's why we have Dr. John here.
3: Right. Now, <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> now, when uh, you get these children and they come to your home, um, I'm assuming that it's not always that um, they're in their home neighborhood or whatever. So there might be a possibility where not only is a child removed from their their home that they know where their parents are possibly at. Um, But they might have to go to a new school as well, because you might not live where the kid was going to school. So we've got a kid in a new home environment. Now, you know, John has to go and drop this kid off in a new school. How how do you transition a foster child into a new school environment on top of the whole you have to get used to a new family kind of situation? I'm assuming that's kind of difficult
2: you hit the uh, you hit my dissertation on the head that's exactly what I did my doctoral dissertation was I was watching my own children my own foster children being placed from outside my county into my home and then I was watching them being enrolled into the school system where I lived in and I was watching them fail miserably they were they, their, their academic grades just dropped while their behavior problems r- uh, rose incredibly so School is the last place a child in foster care wants to be. I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine a seven-year-old girl who late at night, maybe 10, 30, 11 at night, is taken from her mother, taken from her father, taken from her, her siblings and her stuffed animals and her toys, taken from her bedroom and her house, her home. She's taken from her neighborhood and her friends, her uh, relatives, gran- grandparents, aunts and uncles, taken from her classmates and her teachers, and then thrust into a strange home at night strange people and told this is your new house this is your new family and she cries herself to sleep because because it's a strange home. She wants her mommy. The next morning she wakes up she doesn't know where she's at she doesn't know the people's names or faces she doesn't know if she can go have breakfast and then later she goes to that strange new school where she's surrounded by people she doesn't know mm. and she's watching them you know having fun at lunch together or the recess together playing together and she's, she feels like an outcast and then someone bumps into her, her and her books fall in the hall and she just screams I want to go home Mm -hmm. That's exactly how it is with these children. So when they are placed into a new school, they they quickly fall behind because of um, their own trauma they're going through. They can't focus on school. They just want to go back to their home. And here they are with strange people, strange family, and strange school. And they don't know what they did wrong. They may think it's their fault. They may think Mommy and Daddy placed them there. They may think Mommy and Daddy don't love them anymore. They don't know when they're going to see Mommy and Daddy next. So they're having all these issues, and then if they're placed into yet another home or another school and another school, which has happened sometimes, um, they go from home to home to home and school to school to school. They fall further and further behind. Their transcripts, their their um, their school records, they're are, you know at a previous school, and they're not placed in the right class environment. They're not getting the necessary learning resources they they need. So as a result, fifty-five percent will drop out of school at some point.
3: Mm-mm-mm.
1: Now. I'm just trying to digest this. Give me the scenario here. So you have a situation that occurs. I'm assuming social services steps in. They'll pick up a child. Let's say it's 10 o'clock at night, and now we have to find a home to place this child in. Okay, we find uh, John. Okay, we give him the call. We've got a kid coming to you. Somewhere along the way in all of this hubbub is somebody talking to the child and at least trying to and i might not i'm seven i might not comprehend what's going on but it's somebody in this transition talking to the child and saying we're it doesn't feel like it now but we're trying to get you somewhere safe and 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 in the best for your your best interest or or we're just shuffling you around doing what we have to do and signing off pieces of paper i mean,
2: you sometimes, understand what I mean? Yes, sometimes, no. Many times, oh. the caseworker will be talking with a child. Maybe they may be working with a child for a, with a family for a while, and then a decision is made to remove the child after you know maybe a few months. Then there may be those times where a child has to be removed immediately like
3: mm-hmm.
2: at 10 o'clock at night. So mm-hmm. they pick up that child. They the social worker may have to even go to police sometimes, police escort, which has which has happened to our family a few times. We've had we've had that happen. Um, so the child is placed in the home without that explanation, or maybe that explanation is given in the, the car ride over there. But, you know, it's just it's so unsettling. That child, you know, the, their norm is living with their mother and their father, so they're completely disrupted, 100%. Um, and there's the trauma of being removed from the family as well as the trauma they've suffered, whether it has been abuse or neglect or drugs or alcohol or, or whatever it may be. Wow. So the next day, the next day, the foster parents, we are. It's, it's usually up to us to enroll the child into school the next day. It's up to me to take the child to the doctor appointments most of the time. So, You know, for foster parents, we have to take some time off work as well. Our our own work life is disrupted sometimes because I, I have spent many a time uh, the next day after placement, taking time off my own job to enroll a child into the school system or take a child to a doctor.
1: So. The very next day, you know, I've gone through all of this. The very next day, you're going to get me up and try to go take me to some new school. I can't just hang around with you and we have pancakes and I, I kind of get to know who you are for a while, a day or two, and settle in before you just kind of try to throw me in school.
2: There's no... Well, you know, that, that happens as well. You know, there are some children who who are too young to go to school or maybe like right now during spring break. Um, okay. Uh, you know, or summer vacation. Uh, yeah, my wife and I really try to make that transition as easy and as smooth as possible but there are many foster parents like my wife and I my wife is a doctor of nutrition and a massage therapist and, and I work as well so you know we have our own responsibilities at work as mm-hmm. well so you know to stay at home the next day with us and, and getting to know us is unfortunately you can. not yeah. a reality for many foster parents because they Got have you. to put bread on the table
1: gotcha understood understood righty, John we're going to take the last commercial break of the day we'll come back talk some more stay with me
0: Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome back. Today I've been spending time with Dr. John DeGarmo, who is the author of uh, many books, uh, some of which are A Different Home, A New Foster Child Story, Love and Mayhem, and also The Foster Parenting Manual. Um, Now, at this point, John, uh, not only have you guys fostered over 40 kids, but you have adopted how many? Three, three. Now, what what was the situation that uh, caused you and your wife to go from foster parent to uh, adoptive parents?
2: Oh, <laughs> funny stories. Um, we the first one we adopted, she was five days old when she came to us. Um, her, mo- her mother gave birth to her uh, in our very very small town of about two thousand people. I think Mayberry. I think Mayberry. <laughs> And I wasn't even a birthing hospital, but her mother gave birth there, and, um, and the child came into care, and she was our first crack child, fetal alcohol mm-hmm. syndrome. And uh, initially, I did not want to adopt her. I did not want to adopt her because I felt it would have been selfish of me. Here I was. I had already had a child die, and I had three healthy children. So I thought, okay, I understand the miracle of birth here. I understand that not everybody can have a healthy child. So if I adopted her, it was my belief at the time that I would be taking her away from somebody who could not have children. Oh, okay. fortunately, my wife, the entire community, and God it differently. And 22 months later, we adopted her, and I couldn't see life without her. She's mm-hmm. wonderful, and she's eight years now. Uh, oh. The second one came to us. Her, her um, mother was the town's only prostitute, and she came to us when she was a year and a half old. Her mother gave her to a stranger at a grocery store. Mm. Um, a stranger, stranger reported it to uh, the child welfare system and came into care. She was mean as a snake. She knew one word. <laughs> She knew one word, and that word was shut up, which is a taboo word in our house. And she hid everything in sight. She was just a little snake. Now she Uh is the sweetest little princess Uh I've ever met. She's all about tiaras and and how many dresses can she put on her. And uh, every word out of her mouth is either adorable, beautiful, or handsome.
3: Awesome. Um,
2: Shows me uh, environment, you know, all about environment. Mm -hmm. And then we adopted her sister, when when her sister came to us when she was 27 hours old, and mm-hmm. uh, that was another very very humorous occasion. In fact, I document that in my book Love and Mayhem. I was not I was not prepared to adopt two more. It was a, it was a package because I thought that would be the Brady Bunch level, and mm-hmm. I don't have an Alice. I don't. I need an Alice. <laughs> I, I can imagine. So yeah, I so, can uh, imagine. I was against it, but I'm so glad I did. Um, you know, they a... the. the, the, the biological adoptive there's no difference uh there's no difference in skin color we're all the same skin color just different shades of god's skin in our household um some people will say hey are your kids african-american and i say i just have very recessive genes
3: <laughs> so <it's in>
1: there. <laughs> yeah see my great-grandfather on my mother's side
3: was. <laughs> <All
1: right. laughs> awesome now um your wife, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure. I, I just hearing the story. She's an awesome and amazing uh, female. Um, my curious question is: Being a foster parent um, has to present some challenges for you guys, just simply as husband and wife. Um, what is it that people need to understand about the relationship side when it comes to becoming a foster parent? Because you guys still have to love each other.
2: Right. As I said earlier, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a job a year. You know, we, we, do not, we are not able to place our children in our state
3: mm. with a
2: babysitter uh, <laughs> because these, these babysitters have not been uh, drug tested and police background tested, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They mm-hmm. could only go to another set of foster parents. So the children were, are with us. You know, if they're not in school, they are with us, which gives my wife and I no time for ourselves except late, late, late at night um, when we're both exhausted or for a two-minute conversation in the closet with the door closed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it, you, you. We do a lot of texting during the day. Okay. Hey, what do you, you get the groceries? I'm gonna go pick up children, or you know, I've got. Uh, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard. That's for sure. We ha- we have to make um, time for ourselves. Um, but so no sacrifices.
1: date night, no Tuesday date nights or anything.
2: Nope. 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 I think the last date my wife and I went on each other with each other by ourselves with no kids. Oh, no kids, so, he's answering. It was, was, was it five years ago, six years ago? You know, oh. usually we're lugging a baby or two along with us, you know, to the restaurant. Um, yeah. Oh. Wow. So it was the wedding anniversary last year, and we had plans. We had big plans, but those plans did <laughs> not happen. We had wow. A, we had a four-pound baby came to us last year during our anniversary on a heart monitor. So that baby was uh, that was full supervision.
1: Wow. So, how hectic is the house now? You said eleven kids now.
2: Oh no! Now we're down to a very, very quiet six. We just had a we had a baby leave us uh, a week and a half ago, and uh, my oldest daughter will graduate from high school in four weeks, and then she's going to go live in Australia for a year. So we are going to try to make these next four, five, six weeks without any foster children, just so we can have a you know a. Uh, last few weeks that our daughter, before she goes off to a, another big adventure. Um, but then I'm sure once she leaves, we'll have a house full of kids again. So it's a very quiet fix right now.
3: Okay, okay.
1: Now, I know the whole um, foster care industry, there there are some financial things that uh, come with the package to assist you in, in the task that right. you're going But even beyond that, I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of, finances coming out of your own pocket are there oh, yeah. other additional financial resources for foster parents um to utilize because uh, like i said I, I just imagine the whole parenting thing even if somebody's giving you some money to take care of this child there's just other things you're doing as a parent if you're a good parent that are going to come out your own pocket are there other resources for foster parents out there
2: that's a great question and yes foster parents do get paid a per diem per day for child but i want to assure you that it is not very much money. It is not very much money at all. It doesn't cover, you know, doesn't cover much at all. So, uh, I, I have a new book coming out next year, 2016, called Faith and Foster Care. It talks about how the church can reach out to foster children and foster parents, and that's just what that is. Uh, we have many churches in our own area who, are, who reach out to us. They have a ministry and they want to help foster children. Some people can't be foster parents, and I understand that. But there are other ways to help. So, there are sometimes there are closed closets where. Foster parents can go and pick out clothes for children, um, school supplies. Uh, many times there may be those churches who want to, you know, make a make a meal for a foster parents once a week. Um, things like that. There's scholarships available for children in foster care if they wish to go to college. And only two percent, only four percent will go to college. Only two percent will graduate with a four year degree. So, again, those statistics are very very grim. But for those who do go, there are scholarships available as well. So there are there are avenues out there. Yes.
1: Okay, okay. Good to know, good to know. Now, real quick before we go, um, you do also offer uh, training webinars and also uh, foster parent coaching. Um, how do, what, what is that about?
2: Oh, great question. Well, you know, foster parents across the country, they have to have um, hours every single year to remain mm-hmm. licensed. And each, and each state differs in the amount of hours. But some of those hours can be gained through online webinars. So many foster okay. parents will visit my website and get those training. They'll, they'll watch the uh, the webinars online and, and then they'll get a signed certificate from me. So that's what that's about. The foster parenting coaching is, think about a parent consultant or a parent coach. Okay. Uh, so foster parents will, they'll visit with me maybe like through Skype or some type of online communication and we discuss their issues and we listen to their issues and then I coach them through them.
1: Awesome, awesome. I mean, I guess, you know, if they're going through what, like you and your wife, you don't get date night, you're stuck in the house. At least I can vent to somebody else here who's nice. understanding my, my pain and my struggle. So I think that's a pretty, pretty good tool there. Awesome, awesome. So how do people pick up copies of your books or get in touch with you oh, okay. for a web, webinar or the coaching?
2: Thanks for asking. You can go to my website, Dr. John DeGarmo, foster care expert. And DeGarmo is spelled D as in David, E, G as in Gary, A, R, M is in Mary, O. If they just Google Dr. John DeGarmo, my website will come up. And on there, there's you can order my book. You can also get them on Amazon or Barnes & Nobles or any other you know, online bookstore as well, um, or maybe your traditional bookstore in your city as well. So that's the very, very easiest way to do it. And then I also travel across the nation on a weekly basis. So many times I'm, I have my books with me there as well. Okay, okay. And you said there's
1: another book coming out uh, this year as well, too?
2: Yeah, there's one this year called Helping Foster Children in Schools, and it's a book for not only foster parents, but for social workers and anybody who works in a school system. It's a book designed to help to bring together foster parents, social workers, and school teachers and administrators uh, to help foster kids. And then next summer is the book Faith and Foster Care
1: awesome awesome well we are at the end of the hour here john i really appreciate the hour because you know six kids in the house now and one about to uh graduate you know you're beyond 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 busy you and the wife so i appreciate your time once again before we go please give people the website one more time
2: sure dr john DeGarmo, foster care expert and i'm also on twitter and facebook and other social media as well
1: alrighty dear thank you so much for hanging out with me today I really enjoyed all your stories and your time
2: my pleasure and thank you for caring for kids in need
1: alrighty I wish you all the best that is all for this week's show I'll be back next week at the same time until then remember when it comes to your dreams the words can't and won't should never slow you down there's always space to change and to grow don't be boxed in live your very best life I am your host Lana Reed and I'll see you all next week